Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, as we read verses 13 through 15. Hear now the word of God. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's cry out to our God together, asking him to help us. Oh God, would you use this passage today from your word in the life of this church? For adults, give us a new and fresh love for the children of this church and all the children of the world. For those children who are here, use this passage to remind them how precious they are to Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I was thinking about children and how they're regarded today, I couldn't help but feel like we sort of live in a world that's very schizophrenic on the subject of children. Um, There's a weird tension in the way the Western world regards children. On the one hand, our culture puts a high value on children and childhood. Um, After all, we live in the age of the helicopter parent who shadows their child in everything they do. Uh, There is no activity a child participates in today where their parents are not intimately involved in ushering them from one location to the next. We watch movies from the 80s, or at least some of us do. We watch movies from the 80s, and we see these kids running around, and we wonder, did the helicopter parents of today really run all over the place without their parents even knowing until it was dark? And yes, at least I did, for sure. If anything, we live in the age that we might call the age of overprotection. Perhaps there has never been a time in human history when people were so attached to their children. On the other hand, while many highly value children, it also seems that there are just as many who greatly undervalue children. The National Association of Realtors says that there are more American households with pets than with children. As of 2022, 40% of homes have children, and the number of homes with pets rose to 70%. So 70% of homes have children, 40%, or 70% of homes have pets, 40% of homes have children in them. In San Francisco, I've realized I'm picking an extreme example. In San Francisco, Animal control estimated in, 2000, in, in 2010 that there were 150,000 dogs in the city. I should have found newer numbers, but 150,000 dogs in the city of San Francisco. San Francisco. Meanwhile, 107,000 children. So just do the math. Way more dogs than human child people. And the reality is the number of children in San Francisco has been dropping for decades, so I would not be surprised at all if those numbers have become more extreme. We live in an age when, for many people, dogs are more important, more beloved, more ubiquitous. I've been told that's not a good word to use. Common. More common than children. 
There was an actor, you don't have to have seen any of his movies to know that what he says is important. There was an actor named Seth Rogen who was on a podcast a couple of years ago. And he defended the decision he and his wife uh, uh, had of intentionally not having children. And he said this, honestly, thank God we don't have children. What a weird thing to say. Thank God we don't have children. We get to do whatever we want. We are smarter than we've ever been. We understand ourselves more than we ever have. We have the capacity to achieve a level of work and a level of communication and care for one another and a lifestyle we can live with one another that we've never been able to live before. Yes, he and his wife do have a dog named Zelda. This is not a fringe mindset that he's expressing. He's just saying out loud what many Americans feel. Many Americans no longer believe that it is a high priority to have children if we're able to. Instead, Americans believe that self-fulfillment, high achievement, and an autonomous lifestyle are the things that we are meant for. And we've also come to believe that children don't help us to reach those goals. And so our society is deeply confused. On the one hand, children are precious, hovered over, delighted in, and for many, they are the center of the family. On the other hand, children are seen as an inconvenience, an obstacle to happiness, and for many, a road bump to what some see as a successful and happy life. In the time of, and you might think to yourself, well, this is new. In the time of Jesus, children were also considered of low value. Uh, James Edwards was, uh, is a commentator on the Gospel of Matthew, and Edwards says this, One will search Jewish and early Christian literature in vain for sympathy toward the young comparable to that of Jesus. What we actually see is much like women in Jesus's day, the position of children was derived from their relationship to adult males. And so this actually meant that sons were regarded as a blessing from God, but mainly because they represented a continuation of the family for another generation. And they also meant a growing workforce for the family. Children were mainly seen, uh, childhood was mainly seen as a necessary step, but unwelcome step between birth and adulthood. Uh, the goal was, let's get you to adulthood. And in Jesus's time, adulthood was about 13 years old. And today in our passage, here's what we see. We see Jesus turning upside down the thinking of his own day. Now I have to be up front. I know what the main point of this passage is. The main point of the passage is, is not really to talk about children. Instead, the, the importance of children is that they illustrate the point Jesus is making and that he's already made in Matthew. If you look in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus says that it is important for Christians to receive lowly people, to receive outsiders, uh, and for us to be people of humility. And what Jesus is doing here is he is reiterating for the disciples that they still don't get it. They're still leaving people out, in part because their culture tells them that those people aren't important. And so, like all of us in some ways, they were captive to their own culture at the time. And so I want to acknowledge that this is the larger point Jesus is making up front. But it was actually about a month and a half ago, we looked at Jesus's discussion of self-sacrifice and greatness. And that subject is going to come up again later in the Gospel of Matthew as well. And so what I thought I would do this morning is instead of repeating those points, even though it would be worthwhile because Jesus makes those points, right? If Jesus makes a point, 
It's worth dwelling on. But instead, I just want to do something different. I want to consciously focus on the subject that he uses to make the point. I want us to talk about the arrival of these children and what he says about the children and what it says to us. Because you see, the truth is, Jesus loves the little children. It's not a cheesy song. It's a real true thing. Jesus loves the little children. And so this morning, I want us to recognize three truths that we need to hear because of the fact that Jesus loves the little children. And in essence, three applications for us. Because Jesus loves the little children, three things. We should evangelize them. We should disciple them. And we should prioritize them. We should evangelize them. We should disciple them. And we should prioritize them. So the first point I want us to see is that because Jesus loves the little children, we should evangelize them. Now, when I say that, I I really don't mean that we should treat them like unbelievers. Uh, I am not saying that we should presume that they are believers. Part Part of being Presbyterian means that we believe in baptizing the children of our church. And we do this because they are already members of the church if they are the children of believers. And so we don't baptize them to make them members of the church. We baptize them because they already are members of Christ's church. And we should treat them as members of Christ's church. Uh, And there are are many children who grow up in the church and they grow up and they are Christians and they are believers and they profess faith in Jesus. And they often will say, I don't even remember being an unbeliever. I'm pretty sure I've always believed. One of my uh, favorite things to do is new member uh, communing member interviews with kids. And it's great seeing covenant kids in the church who just say, you ask Tell us about your faith in Jesus. And they just say, I always believed as far as I know. I don't remember not believing. Um, and when parents have their children baptized, the parents make a promise. And they, what they do is they promise that they're going to raise their children in a certain way. Here's the question that we ask parents. We say, do you promise that you will endeavor to set before him or her a godly example? That you will pray with and for him? That you will teach him the doctrines of our holy religion and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we're actually asking the parent, will you evangelize your child on a consistent basis? Will you evangelize your child with the, the word of God? Will you evangelize your child with your prayers? Will you evangelize your child By bringing them to hear the word of God each week. That's what we're asking. We're saying, are you going to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And if a parent keeps this vow, and if they keep this vow from a young age, what you have is you have the recipe for a covenant child who will probably not remember a time when they didn't believe. Doesn't mean it's always the case, but it's often the case. Um, What that means is that when I say we should evangelize children, we should do the same thing we do for adults in the church. You know, we think of evangelism, we think, oh, when I'm evangelizing, I'm taking the gospel only to people who've never heard it before. Or I'm taking it to somebody who who doesn't profess faith. And I'm not sure if you've noticed this common theme, but often when, when I preach, my conclusions are evangelistic, even though from my own judgment, nearly every person in this room is already a Christian. 
From my perspective, I sort of presume that, that if you're here, you want to hear the word of God. Uh, I know most of you, and I know that you, that you are baptized people who've been in Christ's church and you've attended faithfully. And yet I still have the nerve to give evangelistic conclusions to, to my sermons. Is that because I'm just gearing that specific part to the visitors? No. I want people who have been followers of Jesus all their life to hear the evangelistic conclusion to the message. I continue evangelizing. Um, Part of why I do this is that we have a fundamental need. Our fundamental needs are still the same. We all need to be in Christ. But whether we are saved or unsaved, we still need Jesus. So the, the saint who has lived their life in faith for 90 years doesn't remember a time that they never believed. That person still, even now, still needs to be looking to Jesus, setting their eyes on Jesus. And all of us, even those who are mature Christians, still find it so easy, like gravity, to trust in ourselves, to look to ourselves, to feel insecure because we know we haven't been faithful this week, to feel unsafe or to feel like God is angry with us because we look at our own self and our own life and we don't see something good there. We are all tempted to that no matter how long we have followed Jesus. We find it easy to just forget about our spiritual condition, surround ourselves with distraction. We need to hear the gospel again. Older saints need to be evangelized. We need to be reminded of the good news. I'm over 40. I'm starting to include myself in the older people category now. Also, I spent my whole week feeling tons of back pain and walking around with my hand like this. And so even if you won't let me join your group, I'm, I'm forcing myself into your group. Um. I've told this story about Martin Luther. I've told it countless times. Um, But he would always preach these evangelistic sermons for this German people who um, all of them were, you know, not all of them, of course, but this church is full of professing believers. And they would say, Luther, why are you always giving gospel sermons? And he would say, I keep saying because you keep forgetting. Fundamentally, evangelism is not just for unbelievers, it is for believers. We regularly need someone to scream in our ear, wake up, you are a sinner and you need to repent of your sin. And that's true whatever our age is. And all of this brings me back to this first point. Because Jesus loves the little children, we need to evangelize them too. If the adults need to be evangelized, our children need to be evangelized we need to share the gospel with them we need to remind them of what we always need to be reminded of we need to repent and stop putting our trust in ourselves and we need to be reminded to put our trust in jesus we need to believe the gospel we need to turn from our sin we need to admit when we're wrong that message never gets old and none of us outgrows it if you think you've outgrown it it shows that you have definitely not outgrown it. That need never goes away. Whether we are adults or children, our needs are still fundamentally the same. We need to repent and believe the gospel. Now, I don't know if that seems like common sense, but it isn't. 
it is certainly not common sense to the disciples. Because here the disciples are, and they think this is the time for the big people. And, and they try to shoo these kids away who really need to be in the presence of Jesus. And that is not possible without evangelizing them and sharing the good news with them. Ultimately, being a member of the kingdom of God requires faith. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. Now, here is a very common thing that I, I run into an awful lot, actually. Many parents today want their children to grow up to be good people, but they don't evangelize them. They teach their children morality. They teach their children to be good. They may send their children to a Christian school because they think it's good for them. But they aren't interested in their children actually hearing and believing in the actual gospel. Um, You may be a parent who is raising moral children. That is not the same as evangelizing your children. Your children might hear that they should be good people. Are you sharing the good news with them? Are they hearing the good news about Jesus or are they merely hearing imperatives about how to be good people? That is not evangelism. That is moralism. It's so easy as parents to drift into moralism. Why? We want our homes to be orderly. We don't want them to be chaotic. We don't want the children to fight. If we can teach them to be good people, then we'll have good, orderly, put-together homes. It's so easy to drift into moralism and to neglect the good news. Do not neglect the good news for your children. Evangelize your children. This is a message that we have for parents We have a duty to share the gospel with our children, not moralize them. That's the first point. Because Jesus loves the little children, we should evangelize them. The second point is that because Jesus loves the little children, we should disciple them. This is sort of what you might think of as the next step beyond evangelism. Now, just just remember, we never stop evangelizing. We also never stop discipling. We never stop evangelizing. We never stop discipling. What's a disciple? At its most basic level, being a disciple means being a follower of Jesus. But in a fuller sense, discipleship includes worship. Uh, A disciple of Jesus should be a worshiper of Jesus. A disciple is someone who serves like Jesus served. And it means to be someone who is a witness for Jesus. A person who shares their faith with others. We want our children to become people who share the gospel with other people. Uh, We want our children to be people who share the gospel with other children. Um, One thing I could say, my children aren't in the room right now. I think I'm allowed to say anything I want. But I I have a child who I think doesn't realize it, but is super evangelistic. And I can't tell you how many times yearns to have his or her friends at church with them and frequently invites them and is constantly rejected, constantly rejected. Many friends who aren't going to church anywhere and need to hear the gospel and seems to never get tired of inviting them over and over again. That's part of being a disciple. And, and if your child is like that, you need to encourage them and say, that's what a disciple of Jesus is supposed to do. Is supposed to share the gospel with their friends and invite their friends to church. 
That's part of maturity. That's part of being a disciple. Um, Jesus tells us at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, his design for the church is that we should go into the world and make what? Disciples. The mission of the church includes children. We are to make disciples of children. And we as parents, especially, especially we as a church, have a duty to our covenant children, not just to share the gospel with them and to be content to only give them spiritual milk, but to go beyond that, to encourage them to grow up in Christ, to worship him joyfully, to serve others and share the gospel with their friends. We set often too low of expectations on children. But children can make amazing disciples. Um, the Lord has often used the spiritual maturity that I've seen in my own children to reprove me and encourage me. Uh, I remember once feeling very sick, very discouraged. Uh, and I remember I was on the couch. I could barely move. And this was during my seminary days. And uh, I remember being so just unable to move off the couch at all. And without prompting at all, one of my children came in and prayed for me and laid their hand on my head and prayed for me. And I'm talking like a five or six-year-old, just a five or six-year-old prayer for a sick person. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more precious than that. And it was reflexive. You know, it was reflexive. Um, Have you heard some children pray? They put us grown-ups to shame. Because our prayers are so planned and our prayers can be so rote and repetitive. And the prayer of a child is grateful and simple and straightforward. And yet oftentimes there is deep maturity in those prayers. And it's the sort of thing I often envy and wish I had in my own heart. Children make amazing disciples. This is God's design. He intends for the children to come to him and be discipled. But notice something, in the midst of all these things, don't forget, this is all stuff every Christian is called to. So, you know, from point one, my whole point was we grownups need to be evangelized. Point two, discipleship is something that all of us are called to. And yet we need to be reminded that children need it because it's very easy for us to think mostly about the adults in our midst. Children should be included. That actually could be the second point's name. Instead, if you think about it, children should be included and they should be treated as part of the family. But for children to become disciples, they have to be discipled. And that means that all of us, from their parents to their pastor to their elders to their fellow church members, it means that all of us need to be faithful to the Great Commission to make disciples of our children. That means bringing them to worship. It means bringing them to worship as consistently as we can. It means having family worship together. You know, in other words, when you have family worship, you're showing your children that Christianity is not just something that we do once a week when we go to the church and everyone's watching us. It's something that we do also all the time, every week, every day if we can, because it's something that's really important. We want more for our children than just baby milk. Our desire for the children of our church has to be God's desire for them. What is God's desire for our children? To believe the gospel, but also to grow and mature and be disciples. And that's point two. Because Jesus loves the little children, we should disciple them. The third point is this. Because Jesus loves the little children, we should prioritize them. Um, 
notice the theme that's there for the last two points, right? The, need, the, the needs of our children are the same fundamental needs that all of us have, whether we are children or adults. We all need the gospel. We all need to be discipled. We all need to grow up in Christ and be mature. But in our practice, I fear that adults end up getting the majority of our attention. And maybe it's because we think kids are too different from us as adults. Maybe we think it's because they won't listen. Maybe it's because we think we don't have enough energy to keep up with them. Uh, But one of the great temptations is to focus on the adults around us for whatever reason and just hope sort of that the children will catch on. Or that they'll get some of the leftovers from the work that we as a church do. I don't think that's intentional, but I do think children can be forgotten members of the church. The ones who get left behind when we do the planning. When we think about volunteering our time, many of us just tend to want to volunteer for adult activities. Um, I'm so thrilled with the Sunday school roster of Sunday school teachers that we have, and it's growing. And I only hear amazing things about our Sunday school teachers. So I am so grateful we actually have a church that has stepped out. And if you look at how many people we needed to participate for children's Sunday school to actually work, when we looked at starting this, it was a really large number. And the Lord has provided and this church has stepped out and actually made children a priority in their practice. But the the temptation is to think that ministering to children is only the parent's job. Or if they go to a Christian school, we think, well, the school must do the discipling, um, which isn't the place of school, right? The school is meant to educate. It's meant to teach. Um, or, and, and so then sometimes the, the duty of the church ends up being set aside. Or we think that it takes some special skill to minister to kids that we just think we don't have. But do you remember those baptismal vows that the members of this church take when a child is baptized? Do you as the congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? But sometimes our our practice may be more like this. Do you as a congregation undertake to watch the parents as they do all the work in the Christian nurture of this child? That can be what we think. So here's a question for reflection. In what ways will you keep your vows? In what ways will you do your part to assist parents in the Christian nurture of the covenant children in this church? Those parents need your help. One thing I've noticed with my own children is that when other adults in the church talk to them and talk to them about matters of faith, then it actually has a real impact on them. It makes them realize, oh, it's not just mom and dad. It's not just mom and dad who think this stuff is important. Uh, It's it's not just the pastor in the pulpit who thinks this is important. It's important to all these people around here. And so you start, you start realizing and you start seeing in a practical way that these things matter, not just to individuals. This isn't just by chance that I, my parents keep talking about these things. It turns out these things really do matter. And we as a church, we're able to reinforce those very things that parents are teaching the children, Lord willing, at home. This doesn't have to be difficult or elaborate, right? You just talk to the children of the church and you show an interest in them. Pray for them. You pray for adults in the church. Pray for the children. Pray for the young ones just growing up. Pray for the middle schoolers and high schoolers. Middle school is very, very hard. Um, Think about what it was like for you being in middle school. 
Pray for your middle schoolers. Pray for the middle schoolers in this church. Remember your own challenges during that time of life and pray for the things that you hope people in your church were praying for you if you were in church at that time. Jesus is drawing the disciples out of their comfort zone here because what they did was they defaulted to the adults. And I think Jesus is drawing us out of our own comfort zones here. Some of you are very comfortable uh, talking to children, uh, sharing the gospel with children, uh, rejoicing with children, playing with children. Some of us have a lot to learn. Uh, some of us have a lot to learn. Um, the disciples wanted to send the kids away. You know, they're, they're rebuking people for bringing children to see Jesus. I am so glad Jesus welcomed them. You know, it makes all the sense in the world, of course. We're talking about the future of the church here. But the disciples aren't comfortable with kids. Uh, they get underfoot. They ask weird questions. They get in the way. Sometimes they ask questions that hurt your feelings. Why does your face look so messed up? That kind of stuff. Um, you know, then they don't, they don't care about whether it's polite. It's great. Um, this is grown-up stuff happening here. What do you guys think you're doing? Get out of here. That's the disciples' thought. And yet Jesus says, let them come to me. They're a part of this. They're a priority. Help them. Lift them up. Make disciples of them. Teach them. Love them. Carry them. Help their parents. They already carry so many burdens. Be a blessing to them. These are my people. They have spiritual concerns and cares and thoughts and, and worries all their own. They need the gospel. They need to grow as disciples. They need your time and your effort. And, you know, this is not a message where I'm trying to, uh, to get you guys to change. My sermons are meant to be heard by everyone in the church, young and old. And yet it is unusual for me to make an application that's aimed specifically at our children. How often do they do that? On top of that, I'm still learning just how to do good communing member interviews with children in our church who are eager and ready to profess their faith in Jesus. I have a lot to learn about how to talk to the children in our church as well. I myself feel like I often resonate more with the disciples than I would like to hear. And so this is something I need to hear. This is a message for me. And that's why we need to hear this third point today. Because Jesus loves the little children, we should prioritize them. Now, we don't actually know who's bringing these children to Jesus. It may be a parent. It may be a caretaker. It may be a grandparent. We just don't know who is, who is watching these kids. But it says they brought them. So someone brought them. But whoever it is that brought them, I want to suggest that they are the real unsung heroes of this passage. Because the, the disciples see what they're doing as an inconvenience, but Jesus responds in a way that reminds all of us that there is nothing greater, there's nothing more loving that we can do for our children or for the children in our orbit, whether those are our kids or our grandkids or great-grandkids or just somebody, some, a kid that we're watching. There is nothing more loving we can do than to bring them to Jesus. Maybe you are a covenant child. You grew up in the church Maybe your parents brought you to Jesus. Please take time and thank God that they did that. Maybe you're a covenant child here now. You're still a child. Uh, you're a kid or you're a teenager. And maybe you have listened to all these words today and you wondered when I was going to address you. Well, I want you to know, uh, even if you're five years old, every sermon that you hear from this pulpit is a sermon for you. 
Even the messages about marriage and singleness are actually for the children of our church to hear. Um, If you are a child, you are a part of this church and you are meant to grow up to be Jesus's disciples. Every sermon here is for you. Sometimes the sermon might be about marriage and it feels like it doesn't apply to you. And yet it is, it is really a sermon that maybe doesn't apply to you yet. But even those messages that don't apply to you at the moment are meant to shape you. God uses his word to shape you, to help you to think like he wants you to think. He wants you to love the things that he loves. And even if your time to apply it is not exactly right now, every sermon here is for you. You are meant to hear it. You may be younger than some of us. But your needs, your needs are the same as the grown-ups. You need Jesus. You need forgiveness for your sins. You need to grow up more and more into Christ's likeness. You need to hear the Bible preached. And when you hear it preached, you're going to be reminded again and again how much you need to repent. And how much you need to say that you're sorry when you do wrong. And how you need to run to Jesus. You see, we're in the same boat together. As an adult... I am in the same boat as you. Just some of us are taller or in some cases wider. Um, The older among us have had chances to sin more, but we all need the same thing. We need to be forgiven and we need to come to Jesus and we need to worship Jesus. But listen to this very important reminder. Whether you are five or whether you are 85, you need the gospel And if you are a child or if you have children in your life or if you are a member of this church, then you have a responsibility to obey Jesus, to share Jesus with children, to tell them the good news that even as adults, we never outgrow hearing. Bring your children to Jesus. Tell them about the Savior. Bring your children to Jesus. Model for them how to deal with their sin. Don't just moralize them. Repent when you sin. Do it in front of them. Tell them that you were wrong and let them see how mom and dad or grandma or grandpa or anybody else repents. Model it for them. Bring your children to Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for them when they're not looking. Pray for them when they are looking. Bring your children to Jesus. Teach them and model for them what it is to be a disciple. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the children of this church. We praise and thank you for the pitter-patter of little feet and the giggles and the outbursts that are so often a joyful part of our everyday life here at Evergreen. We thank you for the little souls that have been entrusted to our care. But we remember, Lord, that those little souls can grow up so quickly into old souls before we even know it. Enable us, O God, to make the most of the time that we've been given with our children. Most of all, O God, we pray for faithfulness. Faithfulness to your calling on all of our lives. Faithfulness to our vows faithfulness to our duties as parents and as church members and as church leaders. We ask you, Lord, that we would be, that you would be at work in and among us, stirring us up to robust faith in you, helping us to always let the little children come to you. 
because we know that to such belong the kingdom of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.